Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Black Bar on Blog Talk Radio. Sit back and engage as we tackle the issues important to you and your family. It is our desire to equip you with up-to-date information, commentary, and solutions to life's biggest challenges facing our communities. Thank you for joining us as we embark on this journey to raise awareness about the importance of faith, family, and fatherhood in the African-American community and beyond. Now, here's your host, Executive Director of Fathers Incorporated, Kenneth Braswell. Good morning and welcome to the Black Bar on Air. I'm your host, Kenneth Braswell, and today we have a great show for you. Uh, we're going to be talking about a new book uh, by Dr. Jawanza Kanjufu called Raising Black Girls. Dr. Jawanza Kanjufu is an educational consultant with American uh, African American Images. He is constantly on the lecture tour with over 30 different workshops addressing students, parents, teachers, churches, and community residents. He is Author and author, he is an author of over 37 books to include The Conspiracy to Destroy Black Boys, Hip Hop Street Curriculum, Keeping It Real, The Black College Survival Guide, just to name a few. Dr. Kajufu has taken now and has expanded his work from the usual course of dealing with black boys and begun to expand his attention to black girls. His latest book, Raising Black Girls, is his newest release. His books can be found at www.AfricanAmericanImages.com. It is my honor and pleasure to welcome Dr. Kanjufu to the Black Bar. Good morning. Good morning, and, and the honor is mine. I understand you're doing a great job there in Georgia with regards to Fathers Incorporated. And as you know, uh, we can talk about racism and unemployment and uh, white supremacy, but all the social ills, whether it's teen pregnancy, incarceration, drug addiction, the common thread was the father present? And if the father's not present, then there's a tremendous chance that those social ills are going to affect our children. So you really are doing a tremendous job of addressing the root issue of our problem. I mean, in 1920, 90% of our youth had their fathers in the home. In 1960, it was 80%. But as you and I know, Kenny, in 2015, only 28% of our children had their fathers in the home. Absolutely. And, you know, and those numbers are not getting better for us. And, you know, and we really need to um, step up the pace. And I've often said, you know, at this time, and I'm sure you're watching what's taking place around the country, you know, everybody can't protest. Somebody's got to be back at the at the at the ranch um, working, continuing to try to improve conditions for our people. And so and that is why I'm so proud of your work. I met you back in 1980 in Albany, New York. We used to hold an event called the uh, African-American Festival, Um, and you came and spoke then, and I've been a fan of yours since then. And so I'm so proud. Isn't that something? That goes back, that's 35 years, Kenny. (laughs) Yeah. We're dating ourselves. (laughs) Absolutely. Let me stop while I'm ahead of myself, right? So that was I, my older brother. That's right. You didn't, it wasn't really me. It was my older brother yeah. in Albany in 1980. Absolutely. And that was your uncle. Mm-hmm. You got that right. <laughs> and so I know a lot about you, but can you share um, some of your background and why this work is so important to you? Well, when, when I first started my career in, in, in 1974, um, I, was, I began to see the problems facing black boys. Uh, I, I became a consultant to school districts. And I noticed large numbers of black boys that were standing outside the classroom door uh, in the principal's office waiting to be suspended, uh, being placed in special ed. And as an outsider looking in, it just concerned me, 
why is it such a disproportionate number of black boys in remedial reading and special ed uh, being suspended? And it was really sad, Kenny, because the schools had lived with this problem for so long, they thought it was normal. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't normal to me. And that, that became the genesis of the four volumes of Countering the Conspiracy to Destroy Black Boys. And one of the points we raised in that book is the fourth grade syndrome where black boys are doing a much better job, like in kindergarten. Uh, if you really want to see God at his best, uh, look at our boys in kindergarten. They sit in the front row. They're eager. They're curious. They're on task. They love learning. If you want to see Satan at his best, uh, look at our boys in ninth grade. They're no longer sitting in the front. They're no longer eager to learn, no longer asking questions. I mean, black boys are not dropping out um, you know, in, in, in 11th or 12th grade, they're dropping out in 9th grade. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's embarrassing to be in 9th grade. You're 16 years of age. You have a 3rd or 4th grade reading score. So I felt that the critical grade was not kindergarten, not ninth grade, but the one in the middle, 4th grade. But I never knew governors were going to pimp my research like this. Mm-hmm. Because as you know, Kenny, there are now governors, hopefully not in Georgia, that determine prison growth based on 4th grade reading scores. The reason why I did so much work on the fourth grade was to inspire educators to do as much as they could to help our boys become literate. I mean, if we teach a boy how to read by fourth grade, we have a 90% chance of keeping him out of jail. Yeah, you know, I just moved to Georgia, so I spent my life in New York City. And so I know um, that that situation exists in New York City. I'm still learning. Um, about Atlanta, Georgia, which is a whole nother beast and animal um, when you begin to dig um, into our folks here. And so you said something, uh, someone said something to me the other day, and it, and it kind of sparked uh, my thought when you just said what you said. And they said, you know, we should stop paying so much attention to the fall and start paying attention to the slip because the slip happens long before the fall happens. And if you go and examine how we're slipping, we can then begin to stop um, our fall. And so when you said that, going back to third and fourth and, 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 and ninth grade, that is where we're slipping our children. Exactly. That's where we're slipping our children. And, um, and, and you know, to connect this to the girls, um, I was giving a speech in Oakland, and I was asked by the coordinator to speak on the plight of African-American males. And as soon as the question and answer period began, uh, an elderly uh, black female got the microphone and she began to criticize me and said, why are you overlooking the girls? Mm. Our girls are not doing well. Mm-hmm. So the audience had to defend me and say, well, he was asked to speak on the boys. But I've been, I've been challenged on this for the past 20 or 30 years, and I finally responded. And uh, in the research that I did on girls, I saw two books here. One is titled Educating Black Girls. That's the one for educators. And the one you mentioned for parents and community, people in churches, uh, is raising black girls. And what I found out, Kenny, is that uh, our girls have been overlooked. So you mentioned the slip. Granted, our, our boys are having some tremendous challenges. For example, 24% of black males are suspended. Mm-hmm. And, and that's why we, they receive so much attention. Mm-hmm. But 12% of black girls are suspended. And there's a, um, there's a four time greater chance that black girls are going to be suspended over white girls. The dropout rate, now granted for black males, the dropout rate is 47%, but Kenny, it's not much better for the girls at 40%. Uh, When we look at reading scores, 90% of black boys are not proficient in reading, but 82% of black girls 
are not proficient in reading. So mm -hmm. there's some major challenges that the girls are experiencing, and, and the only reason why they're being overlooked is because, is because it's so much more acute for the boys and because so many black males end up in prison. Right. I was going to ask you, you know, that was my next question, because I actually have, I have four girls and one boy, and my boy is the youngest. He's five years old. And it really began to turn my attention uh, to boys because I had always somewhat been focused on our girls. But I often wondered, particularly with our boys, uh, when we lose our compassion for our boys because before we become men, we are boys. And I be have now begun to ask my same, the same question for our girls. Why are we losing compassion or where do we lose compassion for our girls and why are we ignoring um, that their issues are just the same as our boys, but the outcomes are somewhat different. You know, what's really sad, Kenny, especially you, you see you have three daughters or four daughters? Four daughters. Four daughters. What's really sad is that as it relates to the suspension of black girls, large numbers of black girls, Kenny, are suspended because they had their hair in braids, mm. in puffs, mm. in twists. Mm. Uh, they roll their eyes at the teacher. They, they move their neck. They put their hands on their hip. They said whatever. They were chewing gum. They violated the dress code. They had their cell phone uh, present. Uh, some teachers are afraid of black girls. They think they're too loud. Uh, they have too much attitude. I mean, this sister named Jada Williams, again, from your home state, New York, in Rochester, she was asked to read a book on Frederick Douglass. And, Kenny, she was so moved by uh, Douglass's desire to read and, and large amount of illiteracy that was taking place during the Douglass era. And, and she simply made an analogy that we're having that same problem today, that large numbers of her classmates are literate in school. Now, the Frederick Douglass Institute in Rochester was so impressed by her essay, they gave her a $1,000 scholarship. But the school district was infuriated by um, her, her analogy of, of, of the literacy problem taking place in her school, and they suspended her for three days. Right, and oftentimes when we look at these issues, uh, we look at all kinds of um, things that may impact, um, but schools will often throw it back at the parents, and you and I began this conversation talking about the issue of fatherlessness, and I want to talk a little bit more about that. But what are you seeing with parenting? What's going on with particularly parenting of our black children and girls in particular? Well, that's a tough question, and then we could spend four to four <laughs> hours or four days on it because, as you know, the, the first problem is only 28% of our children have their fathers in the home. The second problem is that the average father is only spending seven minutes a day talking to his children, and mothers are not much better at 34 minutes. Mm -hmm. uh, in the book, we talk about uh, the four types of parents. Uh, you have permissive parents who literally allow their children to do whatever they want. You have neglectful parents who are oblivious to what their children are doing. You have authoritarian parents who you know, are they're, they're better than permissive and neglectful, uh, but they really are dogmatic, it's my way or no way. And so ideally speaking, the parent we're looking for are the authoritative parents. Um, they listen to their children, but, but the final decision is theirs. Um, they're compassionate toward their children, but they have goals and they have a plan for their children. They don't allow the peer group or the rappers or, or, or video games or television to have a dominant influence over the lives of their children. Right, and I'm glad you <clears throat> you just really, you're on my page today because all the things you're talking about are the things I had down um, to question you about. This whole notion that we're losing our influences over our children since 1980, 
um, where home, church, and school used to be the predominant um, influences of our children? Where do we lose that grip? Well, uh, that's, again, a very tough question because now, as you know, the peer group for some families is number one, and rappers are second, and television and video games and social media are third. So for the, for the listening audience, if, if you don't do anything else, you need to know your children's friends. One of my earlier books is titled To Be Popular or Smart, the Black Peer Group. And for many of our youth, um, they, are, they are teased when they're doing well in school uh, to the point, Kenny, where sometimes they are accused of acting white. And so for many of our boys, because the, the peer pressure is even greater on the boys, it's very difficult for a male in Georgia or New York to be on the honor roll uh, if he can't fight, uh, play ball, or rap. Uh, he gets far more play, far more appreciation from, from, the, from his male peer group and from the girls if, if he's a ball player or a rapper than a scholar. So for many of our boys and our girls, they almost dumb themselves down mm -hmm. because they want to be cool with their peer group. Right. Uh, the second one are the rappers, uh, and, and I encourage parents to, to listen to the lyrics that our children are listening to because the message is more than in the music. It's in, it's in the lyrics, not just the beat. See, young people will try to convince you, oh, mom, gets into the music. No, <laughs> the lyrics, you, your, your brain is your computer. And the last song you hear before you go into the school will be the song your computer plays in your brain for the rest of the day. Mm -hmm. And I, I'm glad you said it. My pastor always talks about that when she tells um, folks that she only listens to gospel music. And people will make the argument, no, you know, you can listen to other music. It really, you know, it's not in the Bible, those kind of things, you know, those arguments. And her point is always, is not that you can't listen to it. It is what is the lasting image in your head when you listen to it. Um, you talked about in your book, <clears throat> Rashama Melson from Washington, D.C. She was a young woman who, um, even through her hardship, was able to manage a 4.0 GPA and get a full scholarship to um, Georgetown University. Um, Dr. Ivory Tolson and Jenks Martin and a couple of other my friends always kind of talk about, you know, we look to address our issues through these kind of deficit model models. We always kind of talk about our folks from the worst end when we should be talking about them from the better end. Somebody like Ms. Melson, does she represent more of our possibilities or more of our realities? I think, she, you know, well, I, well, again, you make another excellent point, and the reason why I put her in the book is because as a consultant to school districts, uh, I am I am over, overwhelmed most of the time by school districts who try to convince me that the reason why whites are scoring 1582 on the SAT and African Americans only 1291 is because large numbers of black children come from low-income, uh, single-parent homes where the parents lack a college degree. So then I have to give them numerous examples, you know, like uh, Rashima or Ben Carson and numerous others where they overcame these obstacles. Uh, the media spends a lot more time looking at the negative. For example, as you know, in the book, there's a chapter um, on trends, and, and in that chapter, uh, one of the things that I wanted to do was to emphasize, before we looked at the negative stats, uh, to look at the positive stats, uh, because, again, the media uh, overlooks that. Uh, for example, the media won't tell you that we broke a record this year. I mean, there I'm, I'm on page 29 on the book. Mm -hmm. but there are 2.3 million black females who are in college. Uh, there are 1.1 million black females are entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. uh, the 90% of black mothers stay with their children. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, therefore, over 4,000 black females who are elected officials. Uh, 66% of all associate degrees, bachelor's degrees, master's degrees are earned by, by black females. So, and, and again, on the other hand, that's one reason why, again, black females have been overlooked. Now, because my time is running out, Kenny, let me just raise this one last point. Okay. Because this was a driving point for me, and that was, how do we explain that black males on the ACT only score 16.8, and black females are not much better? They only score 17.1, only three-tenths more. Mm -hmm. And yet, there's over a million more black females in college, and their graduation rate is 66% compared to black males at 33% in terms of those that earn degrees. So, Kenny, in closing, I'm going to turn the question back to you. How do you explain how black females with only three-tenths more on the ACT, how did they produce over a million more black students in college and how their graduation rate is much greater than black males with only three-tenths higher score on the ACT. How do we explain that, Kenny? You know, it's uh, you know that's another two- or three-hour conversation. I got a couple of things in my brain as to why that may be the case. You know, I'm not exactly sure. I think that one of the issues is that the goals of both boys and girls are different. And yeah. I think that we speak to our girls with a very different kind of expectation than we speak to our boys with. And so the things that they want to achieve, which is the rap contract, the football contract, the basketball contract, those kinds of things, which is typically the entry point for them getting into college. Uh, Once that doesn't happen, they don't have a plan B. I heard someone the other day said plan B is just another reason to complete your plan A. And you you continuously change your plan B to get your plan A. And I think we walk, I think about my girls. I've walked my girls through college thinking about all of the angles and all of the possibilities for them as opposed to this one kind of goal. And and you just kind of really hit me because now I know I need to talk to my son that way as well because you tend, he's athletic, he plays basketball, he's into karate, he's all those things, and those are the things that we drive him at. Whereas a parent, I have to start shifting a little bit and start talking to him in the same manner that we talk to our girls. And so I know you have to run. What can we do to support your work? Uh, you can um, go to our website, AfricanAmericanImages.com, click on radio. There's a pack for uh, parents, for teachers, for students. Okay, when you. That's one. And then the second one, they can call us at 708 672 4909, extension 731. And if they mention your name, it's 30% discount and free shipping. Okay. Thank you so much, um, Dr. Kanjufa. I really appreciate your time, and hopefully when you have more time, we can kind of dig into some of these issues um, even more, just so you know um, if there's anything that we can do. May 8th, we are moving a campaign called National Save Our Daughters Night, and we're going to be encouraging organizations across the country to plan events and activities specifically to raise um, to raise up our girls. And so um, I'll make sure that that stays on your radar. Listen, you have a blessed day, and thank you so much. You too, Kenny. Keep up the good work. Take care. All right. Bye-bye.
You've been listening to The Black Bar on Blog Talk Radio with your host, Kenneth Braswell. Thank you for joining us as we continue to bring you the best in provocative, stimulating, and empowering dialogue. If you would like to support or learn more information about Fathers Incorporated, visit us at www.fathersincorporated.com, on Twitter at F-A-T-H-E-R-S-I-N-C-O-R-P, and follow us on Facebook at Fathers Incorporated. Remember, your self-sacrificing devotion to your purpose in life and your unwavering faith will carry you through the times of difficulty. Dr. Rev. Martin Luther King, until next time, be wonderfully and abundantly blessed.